Good evening, everybody. Welcome to RUF. Proud of you all for making it happen during the midterm week. And um, it feels a little high. I'll lower that down. It's not RUF unless I mess with the music stand before I stand up here to talk. Man, this is a, a near and dear to my heart um, topic tonight. We're talking about lust and unwanted sexual behaviors and how Jesus meets us in that. And uh, if you're here for the first time and you're like, whoa, wasn't expecting that, uh, listen, you can walk out if you want to, but you're also welcome to stay and hear how Jesus meets us in this most personal part of our lives. Um, yeah, RUF is a place where we want to take the Bible seriously. We don't want to take ourselves seriously. WNL is a place where people take themselves really seriously, and I do that too a lot of times. And this is a place, hopefully, where you can kind of be yourself and admit that you don't have it all together, and that's okay, and that Jesus loves you. And so, uh, my name is Willis Weatherford. I'm the campus pastor. And um, as we as we turn to this tender topic, I want to acknowledge at the outset, um, as we think about these things, we're going to talk about shame. And we're going to talk about things which some of you feel shame around. But the goal is not to make you ashamed. The goal is actually that we would feel some of our shame lifted by Jesus tonight. And um, that tonight you would hopefully walk out of this room with less shame and more hope. More hope that you can actually change. More hope that you're loved by Jesus. That's the goal. And I also am excited about this topic tonight because I think this is a super relevant topic. Uh, we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. This is kind of a hyper-sexualized campus. Uh, it's not the only one in America, but it's definitely one. And, um, I mean, even in the last 30 years, how internet and your phone and social media have just ramped that all up to 11. And y'all's generation, uh, even more than my own, I was at the cusp of it, but y'all are like facing this in a new way. And wrestling with how does it look like for me to wrestle my sexuality into line with the gospel. And this is ground zero for that tonight. So, um, you know, I think it's super relevant. And I'm glad you're here to hear this tonight. Uh, I just want to also say we're all sinners here. So a lot of us, one of the crazy things about sexual sin is it makes us feel like, man, I'm the only person who struggles with this. You're just not. You're not. And our passage will show us that in a couple different ways tonight. For myself, I'm not a good person. I don't have a good record when it comes to my sexuality. But Jesus loves me. And Jesus has brought me tremendous healing and hope in my sexuality. And Jesus loves you. And that changes everything. That can change everything about your life, about your sexuality. So it changes things. It changes our lust. And where we're going tonight in two parts. The disordering of desire and hope for healing in Christ. The disordering of desire and hope for healing in Christ. Let's read our passage and then pray. So Matthew 5, 27 through 30. And again, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, these three chapters, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's called. This one big long sermon, the best sermon ever preached. And in it, Jesus is describing the culture of his kingdom. He's not telling you how to get into his kingdom. He's not telling you what does it take to become a citizen of the kingdom. He's saying, this is what kingdom citizens are like. This is just what they're like. And here's what the rules of the kingdom are like. Here's what the values of the kingdom are like. 
So as we talk, we're going to talk about like behavior and how to actually follow Jesus in obedience tonight. And as we go there, I want you to understand this is not like here's the steps to take to become a, a Christian or to become a better Christian. It's not that. This is just here is once Jesus has made you into a citizen and has proven to you that he loves you. Here's how you can follow him in obedience because you love him because you need him. Okay, let's read this passage. It's on your handout. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Father, as we turn into this passage tonight, which in many ways is a difficult passage, um, if we hear it, truly, it will feel convicted. Uh, we may feel confused with this very intense language about cutting off hands and gouging out eyes. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you, would you kindly, lovingly come into our midst and speak to our hearts and help us to see you as you want to be seen and understood and change us? Give us power that we didn't have before. Give us hope that we didn't have before. Give us healing that we didn't have before. That we would be blessed by you and loved by you in new ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. First point is the disordering of desire. Jesus said, verse 27, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so let's define some terms. Adultery, some of you know all too well um, from your family history. Breaking the sexual boundary around marriage uh, between a man and a woman. So you may think here, hey, not married, off the hook, sweet. But our hearts are still plenty capable of lust even before marriage. So Jesus is speaking to everyone in this room Define this other term here, lustful intent. He says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, we don't use that language, what does that mean? This is not walking across campus and noticing that someone is an attractive person and just noticing. That's not lustful intent. Uh, That comes from just like being a human being with decent eyesight in the world that God made where people are attractive. So that's a good part of your design as a human being. Uh, Just like your sexuality is a good part of your design as a human being. Jesus here is talking about intent. About turning your eyes to gaze or glance where you shouldn't. About turning your thoughts to have a fantasy to take that person as your own. We should say that though Jesus addresses men in this passage, and though men have a particular ability to take in sexual gratification through the eyes Women are just as sexual and lustful as men, though that may look different. So, although he speaks to men specifically, we can understand Jesus to say, anyone who looks at anyone else with lustful intent has already committed adultery with them in their heart. So Jesus is saying, lust is the same as adultery in terms of the heart. He's not saying it's the same as adultery in outcome. Many of you have personally seen or suffered the consequences of adultery in your families. You know it can be 
far more damaging than are many other forms of lust and lustful behavior, such as uh, viewing pornography. 85% of men and 40% of women view pornography at least once a year. Especially women tend to think that it's like only them. 40%, it's actually not only you. Uh, Sexual fantasizing. Um, Even the physical contact in a dating relationship or the drunken encounters at a party, while more damaging than a fantasy, for sure, they pale in comparison to the fallout of an adultery that violates not just a spouse, but the integrity of the entire family unit, which is all too real for some of you. And yet, Jesus is saying, all of these, all these different forms of lust are the same ugly beast in our heart. Adultery, lust, fantasy. He's saying, in your heart, it looks the same. We all have adulterous hearts. We're all, what this means is, we are all exactly the sort of people who, given the right opportunity and situation, would cheat on our spouse. That's what Jesus is saying. On our own, we all stand before God as guilty as someone who's actually committed adultery. So let that settle in for a second. What would it be like to walk around with that weight every day? And Jesus is saying, whether you feel the weight or not, you do. The worst part is perhaps more than any other sin, our sexual sins leave us feeling helpless. Like you've been diagnosed with an incurable disease and there's nothing that can be done. No hope for change. With your, this compulsive behavior, or this habit that you can't get rid of, or it's so personal, it's your eyes, it's your mind. It's like, how do you get that out of yourself? But there is hope in Christ. There's hope in Christ. And we're going to turn there in a second. There's hope for you to stop lusting after people as you walk around and start honoring them with your eyes. There's hope for you to walk away from compulsive sexual behaviors and walk into freedom in relationships. There's hope for the porn addict to stop looking at porn and start dignifying the bodies of others. There's hope for you to find soul healing from the damage that's caused by the experiences and mistakes of your past. So let's spend the rest of our time looking at hope for healing in Christ. Okay. And again, if you're here, I'm assuming that um, the person I'm really speaking to here is the person who's like, I get it. I love Jesus. I want to obey Jesus. Tell me how. Tell me how I can change. Tell me how I can stop these things that I want to stop doing. So I want to give you real actionable stuff. Okay. And that's where Jesus goes. The next verse, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members, but by which he means body parts, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So from these verses, three ways to follow Jesus in the face of sexual sin. Examine, external, and extreme. Examine external and extreme. And I just want to give credit where credit is due. These three words and some of the ideas in these, this point are from my former pastor, Robert Cunningham, church called Tate's Creek Presbyterian in Lexington, Kentucky. Love that church. I grew up there. Uh, I learned a lot from him on these verses. I'm giving him credit. So thank you, Robert. All right, let's dig in. First, examine. He says, if, you're, if your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin. So notice what Jesus is doing here. We like to put our bla- the blame for our lust, for our compulsive sexual behavior on other people. You see this all the time in society. We do it ourselves too. 
uh, it's her fault for dressing that way. Or it's the internet's fault for making porn so accessible. If I just didn't, if my phone wasn't always with me, then, you know, things would be better. Evangelical culture is guilty of this. In the early 90s and 2000s, something called purity culture basically said, hey, ladies, it's your job to dress modestly because men are idiots and they can't control their eyes. So, like, please cover up and, like, be kind to those men out there. Basically just putting all the blame on women. Jesus does something very different. Look what he says. If your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin. And notice how the way he phrases it, it's a possibility, if. And keep in mind, the whole point of this chapter is he's taking our focus off of the external behaviors and onto the heart. So when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, it's like, we know that the eye is not the problem. It's not the hand that's the problem. It's the heart. But by saying your eye, your hand, he's putting, the, he's putting the curiosity on you to examine yourself and be like, well, what is it about me that loves lust so much? What is it about me that is so compelled by the sight of that person? So get curious. Examine. Where does your lust originate? We, the devil would like you to believe that lust is just lust and it's all the same for everybody. And it's just like something that's so powerful, there's no hope. But actually, as it turns out, it is very different for very people, for, for different people. And so actually figuring out what are the ins and outs, the nuances of my lust? Why do I lust? Why do I lust in the particular way that I lust is a very productive question to ask and answer. It has to do with your stories, with your unique longings. Some of you experience a sexual desire or fantasy that is isolating because not many other people have it. You feel shamed about that. Some of you experience same-sex attraction. It can be isolating too. Some of you are drawn to a relationship or a sexual experience for non-sexual reasons, like a desire for power or control or to feel wanted and loved. And fantasy and sex are just a means to an end. We need to examine our lust. And I can actually recommend a great book that'll help you in this. I mean, counseling is great. Therapy is great. Can be great, depending on your counselor. But a book to help you that you can just buy on Amazon is called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. I don't agree with everything in the book, but overall it's very helpful. And he really helps you just like navigate your story and look into it and figure out like, kind of connect the dots a little bit. Very helpful. So Unwanted Jay Stringer. So examine. Second, external. And this is actually a very hopeful thing here. Your personal internal lust must be and can be addressed externally. Your internal heart level sin can be remedied by external habits of repentance. You can turn down the volume of internal lust by turning up the intentionality of outward behavior. More porn, more lust. Less porn, less lust. More sexualized TV shows and social media, more lust. Less sexualized TV shows and social media, less lust. So this originates in brain plasticity in the mind-body connection. It's very powerful. Your task is to identify habits of external behaviors, disciplines, habits, even ways you respond when you just looked at porn, you just lusted after someone. And the next point helps us kind of figure out what those habits might look like. Okay, what this external way of life might look like. Uh, extreme. 
They must be extreme. Jesus says, cut off your hand. Throw it away. Gouge out your eye. Throw it away. That's pretty extreme. Uh, lest any of you go out and maim yourselves. Jesus is using hyperbole here. I mean, we already, we already saw and we know Jesus knows that the eye is not the problem, right? The hand is not the problem. It's the heart that's the problem. The hand isn't causing you to sin. And, you know, you can't really cut out your physical heart because that's not causing it either. Cut out your brain, you die. So, like, the point is not that you're supposed to cut something off. The point is it's supposed to be painful. It's supposed to be hard. Repentance is hard. And so the encouragement here, I hope, is that if your struggle with sin, with sexual sin, with lust, feels really, really hard, you might be doing it right. That is not a sign that you're a bad Christian. That's a sign that you're in the struggle that Jesus calls you to. And the encouragement is, go all out, man. Get extreme. And one reason to get extreme here is that those, we can't miss the warning in this, those who persist in their sin and reject the way of Christ, they go to hell. This is not saying, hey, Christian, if you don't get your act together and stop sinning, you're going to go to hell. Once you're a Christian, you can't become not a Christian. He's just saying, those who persist in sin, who do not repent, who do not put their faith in Jesus, and who continue in their sin for the rest of their life, that's somebody that goes to hell. So that should give us pause. If you have been giving permission to your sin and just thinking, you know what, I'm just always going to be addicted to porn, I'm going to stop fighting it, Jesus is warning you, you got to do something different. You got to turn from your sin to Jesus. That may not, may not mean that you're able to stop looking at porn tomorrow and never look at it ever again, but it does mean you got to step into the fight. You got to step into the struggle, and it's going to be hard. Because no matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it hurts, your repentance, your pursuit, it's not going to hurt as bad as hell. So I want to give you some positive examples of people doing this as an encouragement and an inspiration. Because there are a lot of people, I know many of them, I know many of you, who have walked away from unwanted sexual behaviors and lust into a life where they're like, thank goodness I don't deal with that anymore. At least not nearly at the same level. So I have one friend who at one point had me reset the parental controls password on his iPhone to where, because he, he was like, listen, I don't want to be able to install apps on my phone because honestly in a moment of temptation I might install apps that I shouldn't be looking at so here we'll take my phone I reset the parental controls disallow installing apps and every time it was inconvenient for him every time after that he wanted to install an app we had to be in the same room but he would say it was worth it it was worth it Um, I have a friend who when he checks into a hotel on a business trip first thing he does goes to the room grab the remote to the TV walk down to the desk say hey I don't want to be distracted in my room during my trip. Please uh, put this back in my room when I check out. Obviously, it only works if there's no like power button on the TV, but that's what he does. A little bit inconvenient, a little bit weird, maybe for him to go down to the desk and like wonder if they you know, know the reason he's doing that. It's worth it. Favorite example. <laughs> this is awesome. I heard a guy on a podcast talking about, um, he was like, honestly, he was the place in his life, full on addicted to porn. And he's like, I can't trust myself around any of my screens in my house. And so he bought this gigantic, kind of like a filing cabinet, but like open doors. And he put all of his screen and devices in there, put a padlock on the outside and put the key on his wife's key ring. So now he can only access any screens whatsoever in his house if his wife's in the house, which means obviously he had to like talk to his wife 
about this issue, which you can bet that was painful. And that was big for him. Some of you may hear these things and think, that sounds like legalism. But legalism is not this. Legalism is thinking that you can earn some kind of standing before God with your obedience, right? But you can still obey and not have that motivation, have a different motivation. You can endeavor to obey God out of a longing to experience your sexuality like God intended. (laughs) How about just wanting to be a fully sexual person in the way God intended? How about longing to be free of the shackles of sin that are holding you back? And longing to have healthy desire, healthy relationships with other people where it's not clouded by the pornographication of our culture and of your mind. The, the desire to simply honor Christ by doing what he commands. So obey Jesus for those reasons, and you're not a legalist, you're just a disciple. Some of you might have walked in here feeling helpless to change, unable to stop your unwanted sexual behaviors. And like I said, I can encourage you with the stories of dozens of my friends who felt that way once. And not because they're super holy people, not because they found some kind of like magical drug or whatever that would fix the problem, just like the steady, slow pursuit of Jesus in community. And they're in a very different place than they once were. Praise God. You can do this. You can stop looking at porn. You can stop hooking up. You can stop your unwanted sexual behaviors. But hear this. The motivation to change does not come from guilt. If you're sitting there right now and you're feeling like, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this. I should have fixed this already. That guilt is not going to help you. The guilt is not my intent. And the guilt is not going to help you do what you need to do. We we can feel like the way for me to stop lusting or looking at porn or whatever it is, is to kind of beat myself up and like, you know, read the statistics about how it harms other people and just like kind of guilt myself into changing behavior. But that's not, it doesn't work. A lot of you know it doesn't work. The motivation comes from knowing that you're loved by God in the midst of your sin, in your worst moment. When you kind of hate yourself, Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He really loves you. He has such compassion on broken people. And I want to conclude by looking at the compassion of Jesus. If you feel like a precious part of you has died or been lost that you can't recover it, when Jesus saw the woman whose son had just died, Luke 7, 13, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus can raise to life the parts of you that you thought you'd lost through sexual sin. Do you feel like your lust and your sexual sin is harassing you at every turn? And like you can't do anything throughout your day without having that temptation or that barrage from outside. Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. But he is the shepherd. He's the shepherd for your soul. He knows how to lead you where you want to go, where you need to go. Do you feel like you're diseased? weakened, perhaps even addicted, compelled by the cancer of your unwanted behaviors. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He's a healer. He has compassion on the sick. He came to save the sexually sick. We're the kind of people Jesus came to save. It's not those unicorns out there that have never looked at porn and never masturbated and never lusted in their lives. If there is such a person, it's us. 
Do you feel condemned by your past misdeeds and ongoing habits? Romans 8.1, man. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. Not in any moment. He who never lustfully looked at anyone took the guilt of all of our sexual sins onto himself. He wasn't ashamed to do that. He wasn't too good for our sexual sin. He decided to take that on himself. And he died to wash away our guilt. To speak love to our bodies. To bring healing to our brokenness. To buy transformation for our transgressions. To guarantee true and eternal satisfaction for our longings. Amen. I want to close with the words of a favorite hymn. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night... Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness, and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness and into thy health. Out of my want and into thy wealth. Out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into the glorious gain of thy cross, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of earth's sorrows into thy balm, out of life's storms and into thy calm, out of distress into jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come to thee. There's hope in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the hope that you can change us, that you love us in our worst moments, that there is no sin, no compulsion, no addiction, no twisted thought, that is so dark that you do not gladly forgive it. Because all of them, you've already taken them. You've already paid the price for that guilt on the cross. So Jesus, would you help us to live into that? We are burdened by shame. We are burdened by the fear that it's never going to change. We're burdened by the fallout that happened in our lives, in our minds, in our relationships because of our sin. Would you convince us with your love that we can change? Would you give us glimpses and tastes of victory over our sin? We pray that you would move us to pursue you in extreme ways, not out of legalism, but out of belief that we're already loved and that seeing your love for us, we would just long to be with you. We would see how much we need you and want nothing else than to live life with you. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If y'all could go ahead and stand, we're going to sing one more song.